someone to be around you. Someone to sit down and pour you short chew. But sometimes saying goodbye to familiar folks is the only way. Sometimes that's when you finally find your space. Welcome to the Japan Distilled Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Pellegrini, recording from a very small space in Okinawa, Japan. And with me in Fukuoka, Japan, is my co host, Stephen Lyman. We are both certified shochu and awamori professionals, published authors, and we've promised deep cuts in all aspects of Japanese spirits this season. We've been exploring the wonderful world of Japanese spirits for a combined three decades, and we're excited to share them with you through this podcast. Stephen, how are you doing? Christopher, I'm doing well, as always.、Uh, spring has sprung. Finally, have some decent weather. Looking forward to spending some more time outside. But、uh, in the meantime,、uh, we're getting a really interesting episode in the can. Yeah, it's been a long time coming, that's for sure. And we're so excited to do it that I am currently sitting in the underside, the, the short side, and it is short, let me reassure you. Of one of those futon closets that are so typical in Japanese homes, just in order to cut down on the echoes that might be apparent in my audio, given the fact that I'm on the road. I'm in Okinawa right now, as I am every March. And so this is a new adventure for me, and it is warm in here. I'm not going to lie. So、uh, let's get going. <laughs> All right. I, I'm, I'm trying to imagine you folding yourself into, into that space. You're, you're not, a, not a small man. So、uh, thanks for taking one for the team. <laughs> There will be photographic evidence, I promise. <laughs> Great. Well, yeah, let's get going. Yeah, let's do it.、Um, so, as we've explained many times, how you know, everything that is done in a distillery, and I know that people really appreciate it, but I think it bears repeating every single decision, everything that's both habit and ad libbed in the fermentation and distillation process has an effect downstream in that process. And, you know, it's everything from the base ingredients, the yeast strain that the distillery chooses to use, fermentation temperatures. We're also talking the duration of the fermentation, of course, and a gazillion other factors. Everything has an effect on the final product. And today we want to focus on one thing that is. Of course, affected by all of those other decisions upstream in the process and is on everybody's mind. A lot of people who know just a little bit about distillation ask about it, and that is cuts, the, the fractional cuts during distillation. In other words, which part of the distillate are we actually drinking? And that's a great question. There's a lot of mystery and mystique revolving around this. But before we get into that, let me just briefly explain the concept of distillation, because I think this is a hard one for everyone to wrap their heads around. I know it was hard for me as well, even after having studied distillation in high school chemistry class. But let me put it super, super simply distillation is what you do. When you boil water on the stove. Okay. So imagine you have water boiling on the stove. You're raising the temperature and bubbles are rising to the surface. This is, this is water at the bottom reaching its vapor point and releasing through the, the liquid towards the top. Now put a lid on that. Okay. Put a, put a lid on that thing and let it keep bubbling away. All right. Then 
you take the lid off and you turn it upside down really quickly and you've got a whole bunch of condensation there at the top. Somehow, you know, sponge it out of there, take a cloth and collect it and then wring that cloth out into a cup. Congratulations, you have just distilled water. All right. <laughs> that in its essence is what we're talking about here, except that with distillation of a beverage alcohol, you're actually trying to separate the ethanol from the water. And thankfully, ethanol has a lower vapor point than water does. So anyway, sorry, that was that was very involved, but hopefully that was a super simple explanation of what we're about to get into here. Well, I think that was a great uh, introduction and probably one of the simplest ways I've heard distilling uh, described, at least since uh, middle school. So thank you for mm -hmm. that. When we talk about cuts, we're talking about where you start to collect that liquid that's been distilled. Uh, and that's, that, that would be the first cut. And then the second cut would be when you turn that off, when you stop collecting the distillate. So you'd have a first cut when you start and a second cut when you stop, but that's really simplified describing it that way. It can be much more complicated and you may want to make cuts in between those cuts, meaning you would uh, collect some of that distillate after your first cut in one storage container, and then you would switch to another storage container because you're trying to separate the different cuts because they have different characters. Right. Uh, yeah. And these different parts of the distillate could be used for aging or blending or even redistillation or uh, bottling as separate products. Yeah. Distillers have a lot of leeway. And if they collect it separately of being able to do those things, if they collect it all in one tank, they don't. So sure. these are decisions, again, that the master distillers make. And this may be a decision that a new distiller may need to make too. If we were to give any advice to people who are just getting started out out there, it would be to make a bunch of cuts, really just cut away, um, keep things small and keep things simple, collect a whole bunch of different um, fractions of the distillate, if you have the ability to do so, just to figure out what your spirit is doing at different parts of the process and use sensory analysis and many other techniques available to you within the distillery to check the spirit and know the spirit and really be one with the spirit so that you get the best possible product you, you can get out of what you have. And I think this is probably something that a lot of distilleries do when they're working with new ingredients or they're experimenting with a fermentation that they haven't quite tried before. And I have a feeling that a lot of makers around the world, given the climate crisis that we're dealing with and how variable their starch source or their, their glucose sources, whatever that the case may be, the variance in the base products can, can be all over the map from season to season, from year to year. And I have a feeling that they do a lot of toggling with their distillation because of that. And I think that's just the, the name of the game. But to get back to the point here, the cuts and where are the cuts made? I think it's important for everybody to understand that these fractions have names and there are three big fractions and they're very simple to remember the heads, the hearts and the tails. Now, sometimes words like four shot or Four shots are used to describe the heads. I think the way that Stephen and I understand it is that they're slightly different things. And then you also hear things like faints, which can be used to describe 
the tails. But anyways, we're going to use those three simple ones, heads, hearts, and tails in this discussion. And we'll start at the top with the heads. The heads are the first spirits to come off the still. They tend to have a lot of nasty stuff that you don't really want to sell to a consumer. You don't want that going into their body because as we've all heard about the nasty, the moonshine that blinds people. Yeah, that's if you have a really head filled spirit, meaning you have a lot of methanol in there and other things, then you can do damage to people, which is why it's important to buy your spirits from a reputable retailer who is hopefully also doing their job. But after the heads, then you get into the good stuff. That's the hearts. That's the main spirit where most of the ethanol resides and where all of those beautiful flavors and aromas are allowed to express in a balanced manner, hopefully. And these are typically kept for aging and for blending and, of course, for bottling and other purposes as well. Whatever other intent the distillery might have for that spirit, the hearts play a big part in all of that, the majority. And finally, the tails are at the end of the show and they're full of oils, fusel oils, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, and relatively little alcohol that we want to drink when compared to the hearts, I mean, it gets all the way down into the single digits in terms of the alcohol content. And the distillery will typically cut well before that, just because they want to keep the best part of the distillate, the hearts intact and not dilute it with too much of the, of what would normally be called tails. That was a nice overview of the the three main parts of it. And, and I think we should dig a little bit more into each one and explain the details. And now the heads, as you mentioned, they have poisons, right? Uh, and it takes very little methanol to make someone blind. And it takes very little more methanol than that to kill someone. So you do not want to be drinking methanol in any quantity, basically. And so that's why we're always going to discard the very first things to come off the still because methanol has a much lower boiling point than ethanol, uh, mm-hmm. as Christopher said. So that's going to evaporate first. And so once that's recondensed and it's coming out of the still, you want to throw that away. Some distilleries do make their first cut very early. Uh, and so that's where the, in our use of the word, the word four shots comes in. So the four shots are really like the, the methanol coming off the still at the very, very beginning. Yeah. Uh, and you'll, you'll discard that because that's toxic. That's dangerous. Um, but, and there will be a, 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 you know, minuscule amount of methanol that will continue to come off the still. Uh, in the rest of the heads, but it's well below the level that is harmful or that would actually cause serious toxicity uh, to humans. Uh, So what distilleries are doing that first cut very early, they're actually going to collect the rest of the heads after they get rid of the four shots. Christopher gave a nice example in his uh, boiling water, but I want to take you back to high school chemistry class. Like Christopher said, every liquid has a, a vapor point, right? And since the fermentation is not just water and not just ethanol, all of the other liquids have different boiling points as well. All the other liquids that exist in that fermentation, and that's different kinds of alcohols. When we say alcohol, we're usually talking about ethanol, but there are lots of other alcohols. There's the water, there's all these other things, there's the oils, there's all of these different things that uh, can evaporate, right? And it turns out that the liquids with low evaporation points are harmful for human consumption. So it actually makes it helpful for the distiller because those yeah. toxic chemicals are concentrated at the beginning of the distillation run. 
And so that you can remove that poisonous stuff and then start collecting things that are safe. Yeah. And another thing, just to interject really quickly, another thing that comes off sometimes in the, in the four shots is actually the, the ass end of the previous distillation, which tends to have a bunch of oils that have collected in the, in the distillate pipe that, mm. you know, as it's going through the condenser and that needs to be washed out too. I mean, cause that's been sitting there for a while. It might've been say, sitting there for a day. It might've been sitting there over the weekend and sure. that stuff will be washed out of there as well. In, in some cases, not all distilleries, some distilleries will do a rinse run, but, uh, it's cleaning the pipes, you know, for sure, sure. almost literally. And so, yeah, you don't want that going into the bottle. Not at all. Now, after the four shots are gone, comes the rest of the heads and here the distiller will start to capture usually for the high eth ethanol content, somewhere around 70, 80% of the, of the spirit coming off the still at that point is going to be ethanol. So very, very high ethanol concentration. Mm -hmm. uh, but it also includes some of those other alcohols that I mentioned earlier. And those bring on kind of bright astringent aromas. So you might get some nail polish remover, acetone, or some floral aromas that you might actually find desirable. I find these fascinating when they end up in a final product because they add a lot of character. Uh, but I think they really need to be well integrated into, into blending if you're going to use them. But once you kind of get through the heads and then you're onto the hearts, right? And that's really what we know and love, I think, in most spirits traditions. Head, pants, now. I'm sure a lot of people are thinking about that right now. So I had to say it. Um, <laughs> and uh, the hearts are, are the good stuff. I mean, there's no other way to put it. That's where the stuff that's in the bottle comes from. It's the middle part and it's the lion's share of the distillate run. And it's where all the rich, the sweet flavors that you have come to know and love in whatever distillate you're drinking. Now, I think we may have been remiss. We haven't mentioned we're talking about pot distillation here and not column distillation. So column distillation is for your vodkas and most gin products around the world. And then a lot of other products too use column distillation, which as we've explained many times on the show is for making a product that has far less character and far more ethanol in it. And what we're talking about right now is primarily pot distillation. So let's uh, make sure that that's very clear. Now the same heads, hearts, tails thing is going to apply to a column still. But we're really not considering that so much because it's a completely different system. And when we think about the distillate coming off of a pot still, a lot of premium spirits makers are making their products entirely from the hearts, entirely from that midsection. But, and I'm being incredibly, this is, this is a gross, it's the grossest, the ickiest overgeneralization in the history of never ever. But it's about 15 to 50% in a lot of cases of the entire distillate run. If I may be so bold, I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, I mean, it really depends wholly on what you're making. And so I think that's why it's such a wide window, right? You might uh, be as little as 15% if you're really trying to capture a very specific concentration or flavor, right? Mm -hmm. Or you let it run much longer. Uh for your, for your, what you consider your hearts. And it's, you know, it's, it's all of those decisions you mentioned at the top of the show about what's your base ingredient, fermentation, temperature, time, yeast, all of these things are going to play into yeah. what you think is, uh, 
is the hearts of your of your run and and that's a that's a decision made by the distiller and he's not just using the alcohol percentage of what's coming off the still of ethanol he's not just using the temperature of the boil at that point in time he's also using his senses right he's mm-hmm. he might be tasting he's smelling he he might be checking the the viscosity or the texture of the spirit right um, there's all different ways that distillers make these determinations around where their heads are. And two of these masters working with the same equipment in the same distillery with the same fermentation might pick different points at which to make these cuts. And so that's, there is an art and a science to it. But, and I think that's why it's so variable as to what really is defined as the heads. And if you think about it, if you're really only keeping that 15% in the middle that you consider the true hearts and that's what you want for your product, you could be tossing out up to 85% of your potential ethanol yield, which is a really inefficient way of doing business. Yeah. But in doing so, you're really going to focus on delicious flavors and beautiful aromas in that 15%. But then what are you going to do with the rest of it? You don't want to throw out 85% of your potential yield. So that might be redistillation, that might be blending, that might be different products. Uh, and in most spirits traditions, Obviously, we've been very general. We haven't really talked about any specific tradition yet. Uh, redistillation of the heads and tails can increase your yield um, and take some of the undesirable characteristics out of that final spirit. And sometimes the, the hearts are redistilled as well. So, sure. And, and these cuts are, are made again in the second, in a spirits run. Uh, yeah. So, the, um, anyway, that's just, it's just really, I think, pretty fascinating how these decisions are made and, and all of the nuance that goes into it. But it's one of the, yeah, it's one of the trickiest parts of the process that really takes on this wizard like persona just because, well, how do you decide when to take the cuts, man? It's like, it's nebulous. And, and I think one thing that makes it especially hard for shochu and Aomori makers and especially important, it's this, it's important for everyone, but there's, there's no redistillation that you've been referring to a couple of times anyway. Uh, most spirits traditions around the world that are pot still spirits are double distilled at least. And that means pot still distillation followed by second pot still distillation. And that doesn't happen in shochu and awamori production. You don't have that luxury. But all right, before I get into that though, let's talk about the tales for just a minute because they are important and they contain maybe another 30% or so of the potential, well, maybe not the potential ethanol, but at least 30% of the overall distillate run. And you need to work with them very purposefully. Most distilleries aren't going to throw the whole thing out. There tends to be a second life for this stuff. It might be blended. It might be redistilled if you have that luxury. But the tails are, they're not garbage. It's true. And in thinking about where the tails are, once you've moved just a few degrees past the boiling point of ethanol, you start to evaporate other liquids with higher boiling temperatures, and those beautiful heart flavors start to disappear. And the tails are increasingly more water and less ethanol. And how the distiller is going to recognize that they've moved from the hearts to the tails in their run is that the sweetness will disappear. Uh, it will become increasingly bitter. And obviously, if they're measuring the alcohol coming off the still, they'll see that it's dropped below whatever their their 
magic cut point is. And then finally, toward the very end, uh, fusel oils, as you mentioned, other things start coming off to the point and like a wet dog aroma appears. And that's really when it's time uh, to turn off your still. Diacetyl. Yeah. yeah. My mind is stuck on the sweet sweetness of the hearts, the sweetness of the heart. It sound, where's Joan Jett and the Black Hearts when you need them? That sounds like a, a hit song for them. They need to get started on that one right, right away. Um, yeah. So back to high school chemistry class, we know that 212 degrees Fahrenheit, hundred degrees Celsius is the boiling point of water. And I referenced this before. So once you have reached something close to that point within the still itself, where whatever is percolating away in there has gotten up to, you know, 98, 99 degrees, you really just begging for the water to be jumping out of there as well in the form of vapor and the water that's at the bottom of the still where it's in contact with the with the metal itself is probably a bit hotter maybe that's already reached 100 degrees celsius and is beginning to you know waft up through the rest of the liquid and when you get to that point you got serious questions that you need to address right so how much of that do you want to keep? Because we're seriously into the tails now. And how much of that do you want to redistill? Do you want to blend it into other things? Do you want to you to you do you want to use it to wash the floor of the distillery? I don't know what you're <laughs> going to use it for. But all right, we've bitten off a ton of ton here and we've over crunched. I think we've crunched so many different spirits traditions into the same what is this 20 minute summary, I guess. And the issue here is that we're talking about so many different products. So I think we should bring it in a little bit. Let's bring it back. Let's focus a bit now. That's right. And we mentioned most spirits traditions that use a pot still do a double distillation, if not even triple in Shochu and Awamori, as Christopher mentioned, it's one time through the still. And so we will focus on that uh, from this point uh, forward. Uh, other spirits traditions do use these various cuts in different ways. Uh, for example, bourbon distillers often retain more heads than you might expect uh, because as the spirit cask ages, it creates or those esters of the, the high alcohols of the, the acetone, that sort of thing. They create favorable flavors and aromas. Meanwhile, for mezcal or scotch producers, they often keep more tails because the bitterness helps accentuate the smoky aromas we expect from their spirits. Mm -hmm. And then finally, cognac producers actually separate their tails into two sections. So they cut, they make two cuts in their tails, one that gets redistilled and one that gets discarded. So all yeah. of these other world traditions do have their own uses and tolerances for how much of the heads or how much of the tails to use and where they make their, their cuts for their heads. Uh, but we'll get into, I think, shochu and awamori. Yeah, there's so many different ways to do this and so many different ways to recycle and reuse parts of the distillation that might not be as beautiful as you would like them to be, but still have a, a utility in perhaps the next distillation or as something to blend into another product that you're trying to figure out what to do with. But yeah, let's talk shochu and awamori. So we often hear that the heads are kept in shochu and awamori production. But 
exactly how much is kept? I think that's an important question. Is it truly everything? I mean, we talked about the four shots before that have some nasty stuff in them. Are the four shots kept as well? You know, I've never gotten a satisfactory answer. Uh, as seemingly everyone I've talked to claims that they keep it all. But I suspect they're not even considering the four shots part of the equation. Hmm. Uh, at Yamato Zakura, which obviously is where I've had most of my shochu making experience, uh, Tekkan's told me several times that he just lets just enough of the distillate push the excess water from a rinse out of the collection pipe before capturing the distillate. Okay. He only makes the two cuts. He only cuts from whatever that early cut is. Let's, let's call it cutting the four shots. And then he makes the cut at the, at the tails because he collects it all in one ceramic pot. So he doesn't have the luxury of, of making several cuts, uh, as, as we've talked about before. Ah, it's just a, it's a space consideration, isn't it? It is right. And also his, his runs are so small. He only gets about 400 liters of distillate per run. So what he does is he hangs a bucket on the end of his collection pipe. And the first, I don't know, maybe I want to say three or four liters goes into that bucket and that gets dumped. And then everything That's else really he interesting. collects. So I think he's getting rid of the four shots in that process. He never described it to me that way. I love that. I mean, it's a, that's one of the other ways that you can decide where to make a cut is volume. He's essentially probably just looking for the liquid to get up to a certain level in that bucket. And he's like, okay, we collected it. Now we're into the hearts. I'm sure he's got other considerations. He's probably looking at the, the, you know, what alcohol percentage it's at at that point. Um, and, but yeah, it's a, it's a very rudimentary process, but that just gets tossed. Uh, but then he captures mm. basically the rest of the, of the heads, right? Because mm. at that point, the distillate doesn't taste great, right? If you taste it at that point, it's, it's really astringent. It's but, rough. But he keeps it because it's got high ethanol content. And, it, and as it blends with the hearts and what tails he keeps, uh, he ends up getting a lovely, a lovely shochu. So. And we've definitely been in distilleries and we've tried the spirit. We're not going to name any names because this is highly illegal, but um, <laughs> you try it coming directly off the still and it has plenty of phenolic qualities and mm -hmm. acetone that you mentioned before and a lot of other really robust esters. And that's all heads. It's coming off the still probably, well, definitely above 70% ABV. Mm -hmm. And all of that's going into the collection tank in terms of most shochu and awamori distilleries that we've experienced. And one of the really nice things that happens at the end of the heads part of the distillation, the heads fraction, is that the, the ethanol production, the ethanol coming out of the tank, out of the pot, spikes really, really quickly. So a lot of distilleries will try to time their cut so that it, it happens just after max ethanol release has occurred. And they tend to know exactly when that's going to be. They have ways to measure, as we referred to before. It could be a time measurement. It could be a volume play. It could be an ABV thing. It could be sensory analysis. It's probably all of those things together in most distilleries. But yeah, 70% coming off there. It's pretty hot. It is, it is. But in shochu, the tails are left to run longer, I think, as well. They, it's difficult to translate from a single pot 
distillation run to other spirits traditions. They use a stripping run and then a spirits run. Right. Assuming the cuts are similar as far as ABV coming off the still, as far as alcohol coming off the still, the hearts are considered from around 80% to 60% and perhaps as low as 40% if we're going to put it into rough terms. But most shochu is stored at 45% or lower. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, In fact, as low as uh, in the mid 30s, I would say. Yeah, it's always stored under 45, right? That's right. And so that means the tails are running for a long time. If you're going to get the entire yield down below 45% alcohol, then after all of that 60, 70, 80% ethanol spirit goes into the storage tank, you're getting a lot of, of the tails in there to, to bring down that alcohol percentage for the, for the total yield. Yeah. And so what Stephen is saying here is that basically for the majority, not me, uh, how bold should I be here? It's a good question. For a lot of shochu and aomori makers, they are basically making their tail cut super, super, super late. Mm-hmm. So what would normally be in called tails in a lot of other spirits traditions or a lot of other exercises are actually considered the hearts in this case. And it often comes down to the main ingredient. I mean, we've got rice and barley shochu, which is usually stored at around 42 to 44% ABV, sometimes as low as 41%. The starch content in those grains tends to be a little bit higher, and therefore you tend to get a little bit more glucose and therefore a higher mash um, ABV level, a a higher fermentation level at the end of fermentation, just before distillation. Sweet potatoes, on the other hand, tend to have slightly lower starch content, which means that you get less glucose, which means that you get less ethanol. And so therefore they are aged at between 37 to 39 is pretty typical. It's not the rule, but obviously because of these ABVs of what's going into the bottle or what we're drinking at home, you need to do a little math here. And oftentimes you're going to need to let the hearts expand and spread over the the tail territory, what is normally the tail, tail territory, in order to bring the overall ABV of what's in that collection tank down to below 45%. That's right. And I think that's where the artistry comes in because we've had sweet potato shochu that's been bottled above 40% alcohol or at least stored above 40% alcohol. And so those, those tails were cut short, right? Uh, to, to maintain that higher alcohol yield from a sweet potato distillate. Uh, and it completely changes the character compared to something that's been cut later at, at a lower alcohol percentage. And it's just because you get different flavor and aroma compounds that come through the still uh, at that point. And we see things go in the other direction as well. If you're thinking about barley shochu production, for example, the distillery is capturing the heads and the hearts and stop the distillation run at 50 or 60% ABV and then dilute down to 45% for storage to be compliant with, of course, the relevant tax regulations and whatever. And again, the character of the final distillate is completely different than one in which the run was cut after the distillate reached about 45% off the still. 
adding pure water for dilution rather than all of the extra stuff that will come out of the still in the tails is going to give you a completely different flavor profile. I think that goes without explanation. Oh, absolutely. I think the, and we've tried these, right? We've had shochu that has been made that way where it's uh, very, very early cut, basically only keeping the heads and the hearts and then stored it at uh, below 45 after dilution versus um, something that's been let let run and they have just such a different character. And until you understand these concepts of the heads, the hearts and the tails and how these cuts matter, it's really hard to wrap your head around why barley shochu made in the same distillery with these two different methods can express so differently when all other factors are essentially the same. Part of what's fascinating about this though. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully as a result of all of these points that we've thrown at our listeners right now, they'll be able to make heads or tails of this entire situation. Ha ha. Um, it's, it's a really, it's often, as I said before, it's, it's mythologized. It's a level of wizard wizardry that a lot of new distilleries and distillers are very apprehensive about in terms of figuring out where to make the cuts, but it's actually pretty simple. You just provided you're working with, a fermentation that is consistent. Your production team is doing what they need to be doing in order to get you the the mash that you want to be working with every time. Then it's just a bit of experimentation until you find the exact points where you get the product that you want. Yeah, absolutely. And this is what makes these master distillers master distillers, right? They know how to play with all these different variables and create exactly what they want. And I think you and I are, are spoiled. We live in Japan. We can try all the new shochu as they come to market. And there's just such interesting expressions coming out. And it's going to take a while for these brands to make it overseas. But there's just so much variation, right? There's so much creativity happening right now. And cuts are part of that process. So it's just, it's been really, really fun to, to live here and see, see what's happening in the industry. Now, yeah. Inspiration for this episode actually came from a listener who wanted to learn more about Hanatare Shochu. So, I, and I think that deserves a full episode. I just think that might be season three or season four. Um, you and I would probably have to do a lot more research, talk to a lot more distilleries, try a lot more Hanatare Shochu to do a full episode about it. But why don't you uh, explain that for us? Yeah, Hanatare is, can be translated, I suppose, as first drops. And it means that it's very, very early in the distillate run, obviously, after the four shots, after the nasty stuff has been pulled out of there, you collect a very small percentage of what would normally be called the heads. And it's a super, super intense experience. And when done properly, it's absolutely magic. It's usually bottled at the the absolute upper side of the allowable limit, which is just under 45% ABV. And that means that they've been diluted quite a bit because you're talking about something that was coming out of the hose at four, up in the 70s, probably. So there's some, there's some good dilution there, but it still is super, super rich. It's fiery. It's got a bunch of that phenolic quality that Stephen referred to maybe as nail polish, but uh, you know it could also be paint thinner. I mean, I know that sounds absolutely delicious to a lot of people out there, um, <laughs> but it when it's done right, it can be fascinating. And we're really talking about a very, very, very minor fraction of the entire distillate run. 
that is being pulled out of there. It might be, it is absolutely single digits. It might be as low as two to 5% of the entire run. And that is sometimes put out there in a, in a special bottling called Hanatare. Yeah. And, and you're right. It's a very, very small part of the run. And so these end up being quite expensive. They're bottled at full proof, which means attack, not full proof, sorry, the allowable limit, Mm -hmm. which means that the tax burden goes up uh, basically exponentially by the time you get to that point. But I absolutely adore Hanatare Shochu. It's such an interesting drink with all of those, between the mouthfeel, the aromas, the flavor, the burn. It's just, it's a really, really lovely drink. Now, I've mainly had sweet potato. And mm-hmm. I guess I've also had rice and kokuto, sugar, hanatare. Yeah. But I don't recall ever having had barley hanatare. Have you? I don't think I have either now that you mention it. Um, no, I don't think I have. I mean, the, the thing for me with hanatare is the drinking style tends to be pretty consistent, even if the flavor profile is wildly different. There's a lot of frozen bottles. A lot of hanatare goes straight into the freezer. And, you know, big ball of ice in a glass and you pour it over that. It's viscous. It's really, really girthy. It's a girthy juice. And, and I know that that's probably the first time in the history of the world that anybody's ever said that. So when it becomes the name of a product, I want my free bottles. But <laughs> it's a really, really impressive force. The most, I think I've talked about this before. So I apologize to people who are paying attention, but the most, Im- impressive experience with hanatare for me was drinking sweet potato hanatare poured from a frozen bottle over oysters on the half shell and just slurping that all down at at once and it was absolutely magic i've yet to try that i'm going to need to do that for sure uh yeah absolutely delicious hanatare but i really try to limit myself to one glass just because it is higher abv and it it packs a punch it really does um Uh and i think i know what i'll be sipping on tonight so thank you for making my choice for me. There you go. Yeah. I don't have any at my disposal, unfortunately. Yeah. I guess awamori hanatare is not really a thing either, is it? I'm going to ask that question right now. Yeah. It's a, it's a good question, isn't it? Yeah. Well, this has been a lot of fun. I, again, as I have mentioned a couple of times this season already, doing research for this season is a lot more work, but I'm learning so much. I knew about heads and hearts and tails and four shots and that kind of thing, but really digging deep, really reading into it and learning about what's being done in other traditions, that sort of thing has just been fascinating. I had no idea that the smoky aromas that were desirable in a peated scotch or in mezcal were in the tails, right? That kind of thing uh, was really cool to learn. So I've really enjoyed this exploration and I hope our listeners have too. Yeah. Well, good. Um, Let's not let... Any of the forthcoming thank yous in the comment section and everything go to our heads. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you all very much for listening. If you've not already, then please consider rating and reviewing the Japan Distilled Podcast wherever you enjoy listening. It really helps others to find the show. And please feel free to reach out to us directly on Twitter or Instagram. You can find me at Chris Pellegrini on Twitter and Christopher Pellegrini on Instagram. And you can reach out to me at at Japan Distilled on both Twitter and Instagram. But please check out our website, japandistilled.com, for the show notes on this and every episode. We really put a lot of extra information in there that we don't cover on the podcast. I'll be putting in a table of the basically the boiling 
points where cuts tend to be made. So you can see the ranges. Uh, hopefully that'll be helpful. Uh, and then, of course, please tune into our Japan Distilled Show Tuesday every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern Daylight and 10 a.m. Wednesday in Japan. So from both of us in disparate parts of Japan, whether it's a closet or an actually civilized living space like where Stephen is, then I hope, we hope that you are having a wonderful day. And as we raise our glasses to you, a very hearty and heartfelt kanpai. Kanpai. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Distilled Podcast. This has been Christopher Pellegrini with my co-host Stephen Lyman. Our theme song is Begin Anywhere by the very talented Tomoko Miyata. Audio engineering by the incomparable Rich Pav, who also edits the fantastic Uncanny Japan podcast with Teresa Matsuura. Please give that a listen as well if you're interested in Japanese fables and ghost stories. Time's